0: i'm duncan Macleod, and this is tc daily the technology show brought to you by tech central if you haven't done so yet please subscribe you can do that at youtube.com slash tech central and while you're at it why not subscribe to our daily newsletter you can do that at techcentral.co.za slash newsletter and you'll get uh, updates of all the latest local and international tech news in your inbox at 5am every morning now we've got a great guest in the studio today <laughs> Stephen van Koller is CEO of EOH Holdings. And uh, Stephen, I have to ask, with all the benefit of hindsight and everything that's happened, um, would you have taken this job if you uh, if you knew what you were going to uncover when you no, took it on? If I'd known
1: on? that there was going to be the corruption issues, definitely not. Yeah. Um, the operational issues, uh, I had a good idea of what I had to sort out, but I've always said if you've got revenue and uh, EOH had a lot... Um, theoretically other than some of the accounting issues, but uh, you should make a profit. Mm. It's just a question of organising yourself, and that's what I've done most of my life. But, um, no, I mean, it's interesting you ask that question because it's the one thing our shareholders always, every time I have a meeting with them, say thank you to myself and Megan for not running away when we should have run away. <laughs> um, oh. But, you know, it's, yeah, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah.
0: Megan, of course, is your Chief Financial Officer. Yes. Um, so it's been a tough, uh, tough old few years. Um, what are the, what would you say are the top three learnings that you've picked up?
1: Um, the the biggest one for me is you must trust a process. Um, that when you go through something like this, there's a lot of ambiguity, so you actually don't know what the outcome is, or you don't know where it's going to come. But if you put, if you do the right process, there will be an outcome mm. that will generally be right. So that's the the first thing, and you've just got to wait for it. You can't, you can't rush that. It mm-hmm. just happens as it happens, and you've seen it with uh, CETA trying to blacklist us, mm-hmm. go through the process, go through it again. It turns out to be nonsense, etc. Um, and we've had a few of those. The second thing that I think has been um, really important in this whole, you know, trust the processes, but actually is make sure that uh, you're very transparent about what you do. Uh, because at the end of the day, uh, I wasn't the person that created the issues, but I was asked to solve them mm. uh, by the board. And so it was just once again, whatever it is, it is. I can't change that, mm-hmm. but I'm there and I must try and um, make it better, if I can uh, put, put it that way. So in hindsight, being totally transparent, when we've had these throw, uh, stones thrown at us, the fact that we were transparent so early, we're very clear on it. We could go back and say, "But we said this then, mm-hmm. we said this then," and that has been a, a huge change. Of, I mean, a huge benefit. Us even see our settlements with S I U have been over 36 months mm-hmm. because they realise we're doing the right thing. We were the ones that actually went and uh, um, reported it. And I understand we knew new management, but EOH, the legal entity, still has an obligation. Mm-hmm. And so there's a nice compromise. I think uh, if we hadn't have done that, we would have had to pay it on the spot. Yes. So um, that's quite important. And then um, I suppose also, um, and I know this is such a cliche, and I've never really emotionally experienced it like I have now, is you really need to get good people mm-hmm. because in a situation like this, you can't be centre-forward and goalie. And some companies, if they're running well in that, you can be centre-forward and goalie. But in my case, I really needed to get people that were really good in their Mm. respects of the business and you go and do that and I'll do what I'm good at and you have to trust each other and you've got to move on because you haven't got time to to do um, um, everything. And the last thing is, when you get into a tough situation like this, the best thing you can do is listen. Mm -hmm. I went to National Treasury, I went to Minister Gordon, I went to uh, BLSA, Bunang Mahali, I actually went to Professor Wiseman Kuthlu, who was the new chairman at KPMG, asked him if he could do it all again, what things would he do differently? Um, I went to Michael Katz, I went to Martin Kingston, and it was quite interesting when you got all that information together, there was a clear path on what had to be done. Whether it was going to be successful or not Mm. was another story. But I think if I just barreled into trying to put fingers in the dark, I think Mm. we would have failed dismally. When you came
0: into this thing, you thought this was just a turnaround story. Mm. Um, I mean, not just a turnaround, it's difficult, Mm. uh, without all the other stuff added on top of it. But when you first realised that there was malfeasance going on, that there was rot at the core of this organisation, what went through your
1: mind? Sure. Um... The first thing was to run as fast as possible. I'd only been there, what, three or four months. Mm-hmm. Um, what happened, though, um, and you'll remember when I got the phone call from you, I think I was sitting having breakfast at, uh, with some customers, and when I went there and I asked the people, they very quickly came back and said, here's you know, what we've been complaining about so I could tell you, you know, it's actually true, I'm going to have to deal with it. Um, at that point, you go, it's not my problem. You know, um, there was a f- few things that, uh, that changed it. one, was the shareholders, we were just about to have an AGM, if you remember, and it was actually the shareholders who, who came to me and said, well, we're going to vote someone out, mm-hmm. so you need to tell us whether you, you're staying or not. And uh, so it was sort of at that time, you go, okay, well, if you're going to support me, then I'm happy to have a crack at it, but mm-hmm. you must understand that I'm only having a crack at it. I don't know whether I can pull it off. Because at that point, you don't know how deep it is, how mm. broad it is. The real thing that kept me there, though, was two things. One is it was quite a decentralised business. If you remember, it was like 282 yes. businesses. I think at that time it was about 900 BUs, all just doing little bits of work. Yeah. And it looked like the malfeasance was at head office. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so these businesses were doing good jobs for customers, it was just the money was being taken at the top. And so I thought if these businesses are good, there's a good chance of selling some, first of all. And secondly, there's a good chance that customers will be reasonably loyal Mm -hmm. if I do the right thing. And hence the listening, finding out what I have to do from National Treasury so we don't get blacklisted because that was key. And this SIU thing, by the way, this final thing we signed is very important because we had two fraud things. One was with, uh, that you uncovered, uh, that was with... Robin um, and Defence. Yeah, and then there was the Department of, of of Order Affairs. And if there's fraud and you don't declare it or you try and hide it, mm-hmm. that's where National Treasury can um, blacklist you. And so we had to we had to sign these things off.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to get back to talk about some of the legacy issues mm-hmm. a bit later in this discussion, but uh, let's talk a little bit about the rights issue because it is current. Okay. And the debt position that EOH is in. Um, maybe just take me through this debt that you have on your balance sheet. Currently, where it came from, uh, how serious <coughs> it is,
1: how much you're paying to service it, and what happens if you can't deal with it. Yeah. So the, I mean, this is a, it's a much bigger question. But when I got there, we had about three hundred, a uh, three point four billion of debt, of bank debt. Mm-hmm. We had about 650, 700 of debt to businesses that we'd bought. So it was about 4.1. We then uncovered things like uh, OEMs that hadn't been paid for licences. That was close to, I'll get the number slightly wrong, but probably about 220, 230 million. Um, we had assets on the balance sheet that weren't, actually worth anything. Um, there was one reversal of a, uh, of a transaction that was done before I got there, the GCT transaction, if you remember. There was 400 million rands worth of debt there that was meant to come back to us, mm-hmm. uh, but n- what was, was worthless. It? Accounting fraud? Well, it was, uh, they signed a, a, a promissory notes, okay. but the entity that signed them was empty. Uh, we had some stock, if you remember, we had that police stock that was meant to be worth a few hundred million. Well, we've still got it, and it's definitely not worth a few hundred million. We're still trying to sell it. It's so mm-hmm. specialised, so everything, maybe it's worth, you know, 10 or 20 million, who knows. Mm-hmm. So it was actually a lot of a, a lot bigger problem than we found, than, than originally seen. So we had to service all of that, yeah. and now we've got two SIU things together, uh, the bit that we have to pay back that's actually coming out of our cash flows is about 160 excluding interest Mm -hmm. Um, because obviously you pay interest over the 36 months. So you add that on. So it's probably like a billion rand, Mm. that extra that we had to pay. So it's probably like five billion rand I had to find over the last three years, hence the sales. what I said to the banks at the time, I said to them, there's no way that this business can serve five billion rand. It was doing around a billion of EBITDA. It's five times EBITDA. It's like massively leveraged. Fortunately, interest rates remained lower you know, for quite a long time, gave me a bit of time. Mm-hmm. And I said to the banks, I can't pay you this out of cash flows, but if you allow me to restructure, sell some of the businesses, we can get it down to a sensible level. And then when it's at a sensible level, we can uh, then talk about things. And I think what's, what's important, Duncan, we've never missed an interest payment in all this time. So we continue to be able to service the interest out of operating cash flows. Clearly, they've gone up. Um, but eventually, um, the problem is you can't grow the business because the banks just take all the spare cash permanently. So um, at the moment, the bridge is around 15%. Um, I need, I need around 400 million to actually reorganise the debt and then it will be quite a bit cheaper. We think it will be closer to 10, 11% when we reorganise it um, and that will be, it's now 1.2 billion um, of bank debt. Mm-hmm. If I get in at least 400 of the 600, depending on what all the share will say, and we can talk a little bit about yep. that now, um, then um, we're down to 800 that's about 1.8 times EBITDA. It's a very, very different situation to five times. Yes. So we can, we can manage through. There's still some other businesses I could sell, mm-hmm. especially some of the ones we've uh, turned around if I have to. So it's not a train smash. It's just at this point, having made an operating profit, it's incumbent on me to go to my investors and say, here's the investment case, here's the strategy, you decide whether you want to put more money in mm-hmm. or you'd rather me pay the money to the banks because if you put more money in, you instantly get a 15% return because mm. that's what I'm paying to the banks mm. and I can start growing the business and, but you need to want to do that. It's not my business. Uh, so they've got a choice. And um, obviously, Laberche have voted with their feet. They definitely want us to grow. They definitely want us to carry out our, our strategy now that we can. They've put in the 160, and so we need to, you know, raise about another 240. Mm-hmm. Um, the The complexities of, of our capital raise is that slightly less than half of my shareholders are moms and pops, you know, just All retail right. investors. In fact, I've got 13 and a half thousand shareholders. Wow! Some of them only owning like 10 shares. You are the biggest shareholders in EOH? Uh, Mianzi, uh, Ford, um, um, MIPFA, Metal Industries, Lebeshe, um Fidelity from overseas, uh, Perisac I see are in there now recently, um, um, Anchor Capital, and um, there's, a, there's a private wealth guy who owns about 5% uh, okay. at uh, S3 HSBC. So that, that group of people, and, and Abraxia, they own, uh, together they own um, close to 50%. So it's okay. about 10, 11 shareholders that own.
0: Uh, presumably you've spoken in some detail to all of these shareholders. Correct. Um, and they're appraised of, of their rights issue. What are, what are their views? Are they
1: supportive of this? So, um, they've also got to do their work now. And I'll tell you a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. But sorry, just to finish that first point. Yeah. So, so when you do a rights issue, to try and get 13,490 people to mm-hmm. follow their rights, is a, it's, it's an impossible task. So we have to get some underwriting, hence the, you know, the, the underwriting or the support from Labour Show. And so we will get some write- underwriting. Ideally, you want to get half of it underwritten mm-hmm. because that covers the the um, um, retail investors and then we'll know from the institutional investors if they're going to follow their rights or not. When when do you know that? I'll tell you that now. Mm -hmm. So um, you asked me the question, my views. I don't know what their views are, Uh, um, definitely. What I do know is in four years, I've never had such a good roadshow before. Um, A lot of compliments. A personal compliments uh, for the management team and the board, because we've got to a point we've actually made proper money, mm-hmm. um, and um, we've got to a point where the debt's manageable, and we've got to a point where there's an investment case. So it's actually been quite a lot of fun um, for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the reality is, is that obviously investors need to. It's a new investment and they need to make a decision how much money they want to put in or not. Mm-hmm. And uh, they've got, it's a, it's a bit of a, um, a rights issue is a bit of a difficult thing for someone who's already invested because you've got a finite size of your fund. And if you were overweight EOH, you can't go double overweight. That's just investment theory. Yeah. If you're underweight, you can. And you can see some of them have already sold some of their shares you know, rising up because I'm hoping the idea is that they have, have um, um, balanced what they have to put in. The flip side of it is it will be discounted to the current share price. And the share price is already discounted because you saw in January when the banks forced us to announce it, mm. the share price, I think, dropped from seven rand fifty; it just dropped all the way down to 5.50. So there's already some of those rights priced into it. But if they don't follow their rights, then they get massively diluted. If they do, then there's no issue. They keep the same shareholding, and everything, but they've put more money in relative to their fund size. Does makes make sense? Yes, it does. So this is the conundrum they're in, and so they need to decide at a, at a discounted price, is this better than buying some other mid-cap? Mm. And that's the work they have to do now. And obviously we've put detailed results out this time because I didn't want them to have to wait until January. Mm-hmm. So the... The the process now is we put out our circular, I think, on Monday um, for the EGM. The EGM then votes whether we're going to do a rights issue or not. And then beginning of January, we put out the rights issue memorandum. It's sort of like an investment memorandum. A lot of that information already sits in our our integrated report because we did it detailed on purpose. And then you've got a three-week process to the end where... So between now and then, we will get, obviously people underwriting. What's interesting is that the non-shareholders, because the banks made us announce it so early, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people just s- sitting in the wings. Mm-hmm. This is this dead man walking um, thing. If, if you are wanting to come in and you're not in, why would you buy? Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you wait for the rights issue if you can? Is that why the share price is under such pressure right yes. now? Yes. Mm-hmm. Because um, I mean, there are some other reasons, but that's what there's, there's no demand. It's very small volumes because yeah. people are just waiting for the rights issue. Yeah. Uh, and that is just what it is. You yeah. can't do anything else. It's like a massive share overhang. Um, but the people that aren't in, these are the people that want to underwrite mm-hmm. because they're going to get the sh- a discounted share at a discount, if you know what I mean, type thing. Um, so they're obviously doing all their maths and they'll do their own investment decisions. But this is the dynamic that's playing out. Right. If, Shareholders don't uh, take up their rights. They get diluted by people who you do are waiting in the wings. Mm. Uh, so um, it's going to be an interesting process. I've never personally been one um, th- through one before other than yeah. as an investment banker. So it's quite interesting being on the other side. Do you
0: have other options to raise cash? Or was the rights offer the only No, there are,
1: there are other options. It's just um, the other options take time. Okay. So there are some other options if we don't get the full amount there are other slices in the capital structure like convertible bonds, mm-hmm. like subordinated debt. Um, there are options to get investors further down the structure because they're specific businesses. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not one, we don't do one thing. We don't make one widget. We make very different. So there are people interested. I mean, you saw, I don't know uh, whether they are interested or not, but Roynet say with, they would like to get invest in, a cloud business or something mm-hmm. like that, so there there are options. we could sell parts of the business if we have to. Uh, we've just got to a point where I think shareholders must make that decision yeah, 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 in terms of selling more businesses
0: I, I have spoken to analysts who've expressed concern that uh that you have sold some good, very good businesses over the last little while, and that if you sell more, you're really risking cutting through the fat and into the muscle of the business uh, is there a Is there a risk that you do that, and you know if you do uh, does it make EOH less sustainable going forward?
1: Um, listen, we have, clearly I think we've had this discussion before, but mm. we have sold some of our best businesses, yeah. but they were s- separate businesses. They weren't part of this ecosystem. And if you remember when we spoke right up front, probably three years ago, we talked about, I needed to save the IOCO, the Systems Integrated Ecosystem, right. because that actually does work together. Uh, whereas some of our software businesses that we sold, they were totally independent, so it didn't matter. I didn't break the, the ecosystem. Um, there are still one or two, or well, there's two different businesses that you could easily still chop out because mm-hmm. they're not part of you, Aoka. The biggest risk that you've got is that if you remain listed, listed is a very expensive exercise, and the smaller you get, the bigger that is relative to everything else. So if we get into the phase of selling more businesses, then we will definitely push not to be listed. Okay. But um, there's, there's a few other things to do before we get there for sure. That will be sort of last, last port of call.
0: Okay. So listing, is it something that you're actively considering at this stage or it's something you would consider... Um, down the line
1: I'd, well I'd, I'd consider yeah. it any time if, if there was the right partner okay there's certainly been you know in, inquiries on that yeah but uh, you know the board needs to make a decision about what's the yeah. the best route for 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 us and so you're talking here about a potential buyout of the entire
0: business e- exactly right you, you spoke previously about uh, about mm. possibly exploring that as an option have you had potential suitors knocking on your door
1: there have been a few over literally over the last two and a half years. Mm-hmm that they come from time to time. The, the issue is, is, if you think about it, um, we, we now, the more time that you put behind you, the more normal the business looks. But if you think about what we've been through mm-hmm. in the last three years, um, all the detail, getting used to it, understanding it, being able to run the business to of it. Now you want someone to come and do four weeks of due diligence, and then have an hour to explain it to an investment committee. I don't know how you get through that. It's complicated. But every year we deliver, you know, every year we deliver numbers Mm -hmm. and every year that there's nothing more coming up, then you get, you know, um, a normalised. So um, the board just thought that the rights issue was the easiest, fastest, most certain, Mm -hmm. (coughs) because... Can do that. It remains listed as public. You're forced into transparency, and um, so that's what okay. the route we've taken. But you know, post it, capital structure's normalised. We've now solved all our corruption issues with the, the final signing of the SAU. So that's now fixed and boxed. Um, we've got a half out size issue that we're busy debating, and if once that's sorted, there's nothing left that we know of, that we have to sort, then you've got certainty. You've got 100% certainty. Yeah. And that is yeah. is purely about business performance. So do you expect a
0: massive re-rating in EOH's market
1: valuation post the... the yeah, uh, but you, the you're position. talking to someone who's totally biased. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I think I wouldn't be here if I didn't think it was a valuable business. Yes. And, um, you know, you can do maths. You know, Obviously, you have to adjust it for, for risk, but uh, in, um, if you have a look at what what Megan put out, on a normalised basis, just if everything had happened at the beginning of the year and with no funnies or anything, we would have done $483 million of EBITDA. You know, times that by what multiple? Minus the debt. You can work, divided by the number of shares, you can work out what the share price more or less should be. There's been some uh, research come out of some of the uh, houses recently. And... Um, that's certainly what seems to be what they're saying, but you need to read the research yourself and, you know, make your own, um, your own, your own things. The thing is, that I find the asset managers in South Africa are very diligent generally, mm-hmm. so they actually build a model, have a look at what we say, do the history, run it through the model, have a look at like companies, so they don't get so distracted by, mm-hmm. you know, press issues. Um, they're much more focused on value and value return and that. So I'm pretty confident they'll do their numbers and they'll make the right decision, mm-hmm. whatever that is. Yeah, yeah. What, what sort of profit margins do you think are sustainable
0: for a business like EOH going forward?
1: So we've we've always given the guidance of, we're always going to be high 20s um, um, gross, gross margin. Um, and that does come under pressure, but then you... Create more, more and more solutions, more and mm. more platforms, and that sort of balances it out. And you go, you have to keep moving into the more uh, higher IP business. That then you should be able to do a ten percent EBITDA margin. That's always our aim. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, you probably at a four to six percent, you know, profit margin, depending on how efficient your right. tax is. And where were you you at interest, your most
0: recent reporting results? If you strip out the impact of the debt servicing costs, etc., what sort of margin? We're about
1: eight percent. Well, our our yeah. GP is there because that yeah. doesn't get affected by all this other right. history. That's just pure. This is what happened today. Yeah. You know, it's just the cost of doing business. So we were at about an eight percent EBITDA margin. Okay. Okay. Our biggest issue is if, if, if you then take it from EBITDA down. And and so that 8% EBITDA was because one of our businesses didn't fire. It actually had negative EBITDA, and we expected from last year it would go from negative to at least flat, and it didn't. So that hurt that quite a bit. It was about 40 40 million Rands worth of negative EBITDA, which sort of goes into that 8%. Our biggest issue is you're paying a lot of interest. We paid nearly 200 million last year. So if you think about 283 million of operating profit – we paid 200 million of interest to the banks. Mm. So you have to get that right. But as Megan says, if we right size it, I think it comes to about 65. So suddenly you've got a whole lot more money. And then we still, because the banks wouldn't let us optimize our legal structure, we still, even though though we made 18 million rand loss, we still paid 70 million rand in tax, which is crazy. And that's just because you've got some legal entities making profits, some making Mm. loss. And so these pay, these don't, but you don't get a... set off. So it is what it is. But Mm -hmm. now that we've signed the CTA in March, end of March, we're busy doing that uh, cleanup.
0: Mm -hmm. Let's uh, let's talk about some of the legacy corruption issues at EOH and what's happening on that score. Um, You've spoken about the um, negotiations and the settlements with the SIU. Um, There's no more money you're going to be paying over to the SIU or any other?
1: No, the only one that's left is the arbitration with home affairs. But you saw the minister come out and he agreed with everything I've, I've said in the press. We finished 51 of the 60 work yeah. items that are actually working. Mm-hmm. The rest of the, the, um, the work to be done was largely um, around uh, the, the biometrics and everything, which wasn't our core skill, was actually our partners. So we've ceded that contract, it took us a year to do it through uh, National Treasury, got approved. So that is actually due to go live any minute. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they're hoping by the end of the year. If not, it'll be Jan, Feb next year. And that's a massive change in our ID uh, and passport system. So there, there's an argument about delays. We think they owe us money. They think we owe them money. And there'll be an arbitration process mm-hmm. and we'll, we'll finish it. We don't think there's anything to be paid. Um, but if it is it's i think their claim is forty million uh our claim is sixty million something around there you know we'll sort it out mm-hmm. but uh it's just a process okay
0: okay now you've referred a number of these um cases to uh um to the authorities for further investigation have there been any arrests at all
1: um interestingly on some of them so um the the um, non-government fraud that we had, if you remember, with Cell C, there's been arrests there. Okay. Um, we we uncovered something. I went to Doug, the CEO, said, I think you've got a problem. We investigated He found it to be much larger. It wasn't just his procurement with our people. It was much wider. And so between him and us, we... Went after, I think, there has been eight people arrested. Okay. And they're out on bail at the moment. Uh, we had a small fraud in one of our other businesses, and we've we've got warrants for arrest for those people. They're out at the moment, and that's happening. Um, the ones that were political, we haven't had any arrests yet. Uh, but I'm told mm-hmm. post Ondo, it's pretty imminent. Okay. So um, we shall see. Let's hope so.
0: <laughs> now, you've also pursued uh, civil action against uh, several former employees, former directors of EOH, including founder Asher Bobot and uh, John King, who passed away last year, I think it was, uh, and two other individuals. Um, you were suing Asher Bobot for $1.7 billion, John King for $1.7 billion, and further amounts of money to other directors, former directors.
1: What's the current status of that? Process. So um, we put in our founding affidavits, they've responded to them, and you have this discovery process, and then um, once the the actual uh, particulars of claim are sorted, then you get given a court date and you go forward. Um, obviously with John King passing, there's a claim against his estate, so that'll probably get done separately now, um, and um, we'll... You know, just you've got to wait for the mm. the courts. Obviously, it's not criminal because we can't do anything about the criminal cases. That's the police. Um, they we may be called for evidence for sure um, on the civil as well. I mean, those amounts are to do with the amounts we wrote off. I mean, you mm-hmm. know, we wrote off what nearly five billion rand or something. So that's where those amounts come from. You have to prove loss mm. uh, to EOH. Um, so. You know, you've just got to go through the process, but it is proceeding. I mean, it's
0: obviously very expensive to hire lawyers and go through this sort of process. It would suggest that you're confident of at least recovering sufficient money to cover your costs. Um, are you, I mean, these figures you're, you're suing them for, for, yeah, are you confident you'll ever recover that sort
1: of money from these Oh, no, definitely not that right. sort of money. That's yeah. just a, that's a proof of loss right. claim. I don't think, I mean, maybe at their heyday, I remember John and Asher were on the, billionaires list mm-hmm. in South Africa. I'm not sure they, that's the case anymore. But who knows? I don't know what assets they've got, but that's not the point. The mm-hmm. point is, um, at the end of the day, the last piece of the puzzle that my customers and uh, BLSA and National Treasury said is you have to prosecute the offenders, otherwise you're not putting your money where your mouth mm-hmm. is. It's no good going out there and saying, we were robbed, we were robbed, but you never put in a claim. Mm-hmm. So um, that's going to be... Proof in the pudding. What really has helped us, though, and where the movements has started properly, is obviously the Zonda Commission coming out and um, you know naming some of these people as MPO should investigate mm-hmm. them, which means they think we have a case. So um, you know if there's a criminal case and it's successful, um, the civil case is a shoo-in mm-hmm. basically because it's a much lower yes. standard. So have you been working with MPA at all? At on yeah, we don't personally, mm-hmm. uh, but I know because um, if you remember what the board did is they said, listen, if we're going to save this business, Stephen, you run the business. Yes, yes, you're a director, so come to the meetings, but we're going to separate the investigation out so that there's nothing that I'm ever tempted to do right. to hide so that we can save the business. We s- split and it was exactly the right decision. So ENS have done most of the work. Okay. And you saw it, Sondo, uh, I gave an overall view yes. because they gave the detail. So any requests that come from anybody, we just send off to oh. ENS and they've got all the, the data and they send it and we've tried to move on with running the business and right. hopefully we've done a good job of that. Okay, but so ENS would deal with the MPA Correct. on any prosecutions. The other two
0: men you um, have uh, filed suits against is are Ibrahim Lahir and Johan McKay. Uh, Jahan McKay seemed to be central to a lot of what went on at EOH. Um, have you added anyone else's names to these lawsuits?
1: Uh, there's two people that are, uh, if, if I remember, one's Philip Arnold. Um, he was involved with, the, um, he was meant to be a uh, financial advisor to Tomoyani. Oh, yes. And then there's a guy, Patrick uh, Makubiru, who yes. worked for CJ. It was uh, the city of Joburg. Uh, yeah, um, that's right. Um contract. Yes, that's right. Mm. Mm. Philip Arnold is
0: a name I know as well. Yeah,
1: so it's, it's those four in the one summons. And then you've got the other two summons. as one against John and. How much are you suing those two for? Same amount, I think. I think it's similar okay. 1.6 is the summons one.
0: Right. Now, you also um, said, uh, uh, I think it was earlier this year, it maybe last year, that you uh, were reporting former directors and employees to various bodies like the Institute of Directors and the CIPC and others. Uh, has there been has any action flown from that? Have these have these individuals been barred from serving as directors in South Africa? Nothing. No, nothing. Have you
1: received feedback from these institutions? The only one that we are still there's a to and fro is with the JSC, hasn't been with anyone else.
0: Okay, interesting. And uh, now um, we we've touched on the De- Department of Defence contract and the Microsoft uh, uh, relationship, uh, which uh, kind of blew the lid off all of all of the stuff at EOH. Um, and I know you've expressed frustration over the years over, um, over Microsoft's involvement in all of this, and the uh, you know st- stating that it wasn't only EOH that was party to this malfeasance. Um, has there been any imp- progress in any investigations that were being done regarding Microsoft? I know that the U.S. Uh, SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, was was investigating all of this stuff. Have you heard anything from the SEC? Has there been any, any any progress on investigations around Microsoft that you're aware of? No,
1: I mean, I've obviously I haven't followed it very much. We did what we had to do. The SEC came to see us. We gave them all the information. And um, obviously the, 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 the SIU here, have got all the information. Right. So, I mean, I'm not... It's not really my job to do that. So yeah, yeah. they must do whatever they need to do Correct. and they must carry on. All I do know is that... Um, uh, we've been told the time's not right to buy Microsoft to look at renewing the um the licensing so the we partnership were, agreement with yeah. Microsoft Have so they, they given you
0: any specific reasons why
1: no I mean no? they won't I mean clearly they won't but um they're not they're not rude to me if you know what mm-hmm. I mean they're yeah. very cordial yeah and they just say now's not the time and we'll just keep we'll see when it is right and uh, so we we continue on okay. It, doesn't make a big difference to my business. Um the whole EOH business, you know, the licensing bit was a small, small mm-hmm. bit. The um I mean it's it's always interesting that they they will let us use their software but we can't sell it. Yes. Um but we still do we're a big um Microsoft Dev Shop, probably the biggest in South Africa. Got a lot of business around it. Um and we carry on. The the issue for me more is if you can close that loop, mm-hmm. it's just that last bit of the reputation. Mm. We've had Zondo close it for us very nicely. It was a really nice accolade without asking for it. Yes, they, they were very, very
0: complimentary towards mm. EOH and its participation in the process and being so for, forth, coming with information.
1: Yeah, and um, you know we've renewed all our OEM partnerships mm. with all the other Americans and Europeans. So they're very happy with what we've done, and so it's just this one little thing that. Uh, needs to be sorted at some point. Okay. Hopefully it'll be done in my time because it'll be quite nice. Quite nice little last piece of the puzzle. Speaking of in your time, um, do you have a fixed term contract with
0: EOH? Is it month to month or...?
1: No, I mean, what I originally said was five years. Right. Um, And it's uh, been how long now? It was four years in September. Okay. So September next year is five years. Um, I haven't really had discussions with the board about, you know, what next. Um, I have committed to them. They they asked me to commit to at least first half 2024, mm-hmm. which I have. So um, sometime next year, once the rights issue finished and we've got everything solved and sorted, we'll have a discussion. I mean, I'm a firm believer that uh, you need – there's a CEO for every time in a business. You can't be the perfect CEO for every single thing a business does. Sure. And so um, um, we'll see. You know, I'm getting on in life. And, um, you know, I need to need to do stuff. So uh, we'll see. I'm in mean, no, no rush, I'm yeah. in no stress. Business is going well. We've got a great executive committee. We've got a fun board. Mm-hmm. And um, as long as the business is doing well, uh, I'm happy. And then uh, the board will decide what they want uh, for the future.
0: You've got the appetite to do another turnaround at some point?
1: Um, it depends what it is. Mm. I mean, uh, I'm not... The listed environment is is quite, is quite difficult. I'd love to I mean growing is better than turning around. Turning mm-hmm. around is quite negative. Mm-hmm. You've got a, you're doing a lot of cutting uh, and stuff like that. I'd love to get involved in some of the smaller, unlisted businesses and help them grow. There's quite a few in EOH mm-hmm. um, that uh, now that things are normalized, I'm starting to get involved in you know our digital signatures business imp- impressions. We doubled the revenue last year you know, off a small base, but it's nice to double revenue. And if mm-hmm. we can get something like that over the next three years, it becomes a proper business. Mm-hmm. Um, we've, we've started this whole uh, GRC, you know, group risk as a service. We've got our first inquiries. We're now starting to do POCs for people. And as I said in the, the results presentation, I thought it would be a mid-market product. We've actually got some tier ones who are far more interested in it because it automates a lot of things for them. And so it's quite interesting out of crisis, you get a solution because you need one, and now other people think it's uh, worthwhile. So there's some really nice, exciting things to do. Um, so um, I think I'll be c- quite busy.
0: Sounds like it. Stephen Frank Coller, CEO of EOH Holdings, thanks so much for talking to Tech Central today. Appreciate Thank you, it. Duncan. Thank you.